Hello again and welcome to International Conversations, now episode three, with Neil, my friend down in Australia. I should say at the outset that uh, some of the audio is a little impaired, probably by the distance. I hope that won't uh, upset your enjoyment of this episode. And uh, we will cover a very broad range, again, of discussion items from uh, his uh, background in the Middle East and Ireland and Australia as well. Um, but also um, astrophotography, uh, both both planetary and, uh, and deep space, right through to uh, the environment, climate change, and some of the very real repercussions of that uh, being experienced uh, in Australia. Hope you uh, enjoy this episode. And uh, just a fascinating question. Uh, Quick conversation prior to uh, the episode, which I think will be interesting. Your connection, your connection's not fabulous. I must admit. Okay, there's probably not much I can do about that. But um, okay, is it going to be good enough? Or I think so. It should be. Yeah, let's see. Uh, if not, I can possibly uh, let me know. I can possibly go outside where um, it's dark, but. Um... <laughs> The reception may be a little bit better. <laughs> and there could be brown snakes out there. Could be what? Brown snakes out there. Brown snakes? Yeah. The other, uh, oh, maybe um, oh, maybe six weeks ago, I was talking to a friend on the phone. And I went outside because the reception was not that good. Right. It was quite a warm night. And I was walking around in my flip-flops, as you'd call them. We call them thongs. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and I had my head torch on, which I use for my astronomy, and um, yeah, I should look where I'm going here. And there was a, a juvenile brown snake on the, on the ground. Oh, um, are they, they're poisonous. Uh, yeah, I think they're the fourth most poisonous snake in the world. Oh my god! And you have them in your backyard. Fabulous. Yeah, we don't see them very often. In fact, very rarely, but they are here. Okay, um, it's one of the one of the hazards of uh, of Australia, I suppose. Yes. And now, episode three. Hi, Neil. Welcome. Thanks for uh, agreeing to do this. Hi, Nigel. An absolute pleasure from the other side of the world. Yes, indeed. Actually, um, maybe we could probably start with your. Your location. I should also warn for anyone listening that your your uh, your connection isn't perfect, so that that may uh, that may show up in the in the conversation. But we'll go, we're going to go with it. So fingers crossed. But but yeah. So maybe let's actually start. Where where are you at the moment? Well, I'm in uh, what's called the central west of New South Wales, which is um, uh, about 200 kilometres due west of Sydney in the hinterland in the sort of regional area uh, away from the, the big city um, and in the countryside, basically, here in, uh, in the state of New South Wales. Where's, uh, how far away is your nearest neighbour? Um, well, we have, uh, we have a place in, in the city or town of Bathurst, which is a town of about 40,000 people. Oh, okay. So our nearest neighbour would be, yeah, would be um, quite uh, quite close, yes. uh, like any other suburban sort of arrangement. Right. 
But uh, where I do my astronomy is about 40 kilometres north of there, and we have a 13-acre uh, property where I have my observatory, and my nearest neighbour is probably um, four or 500 metres away. Okay, okay. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Okay, sorry, just to kind of orientate people a bit. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go through the usual kind of routine I've been doing on, on these podcasts, so this, this 40 acronym, but family and occupation and recreation and, and dreams and if there's any particular issue that if we've not covered it by then you'd like to kind of pick up on in, in the conversation and um and obviously you can say as much or as least as you as you feel comfortable with but so maybe let's start with um with family where would you like to start in uh, in talking about family Okay, well, my uh, my small immediate family is uh, is my wife Ruth, and um, we've been married for thirty three years, and we have one son uh, who's twenty six years old. Uh, his name's Sean, and um, he uh, he's actually just recently moved to Sydney. Um, I've got uh, two brothers, one in Sydney and one in Melbourne, and Ruth is one of three girls, so she's the oldest. Uh, and she has two sisters, uh, again, one in Sydney and one at the moment uh, just on the south coast of New South Wales. Mm. Um, and, of course, my family, uh, on, my, uh, on my side, of course, I've, uh, I'm, I'm of Irish um, origin and I've got uh, quite a large um, family in, in Ireland, first cousins in particular, um, that I know reasonably well. Um, so that's sort of uh, the extent of the family. So, yeah. and um, so, how far back to? So, you're originally from your family's originally from Ireland, but how far does it does it go back in terms of when when your family were in Australia? Okay, so uh, yeah, I was uh, born to Irish parents. Um, okay. I was actually born in the Middle East, uh, in in Bahrain, in the Persian Gulf. Yeah, and um, my my mother and father were both chemists, and um, dad uh, dad worked out in the Middle East for many years for about seven years, um, and so we kind of moved backwards and forwards between the Middle East and Ireland, mostly in the Middle East. Right, um, and then in nineteen seventy two, old a permanent uh, job in Sydney, Australia. And uh, uh, we moved to Australia. Okay. And uh, yeah, okay. we've been here. Nice. And have you you go back to Ireland uh, on occasion or frequently, or if you can, or yeah, uh, as frequently as as I can. Obviously, uh, it's uh, um, now that I'm I've retired. I've uh, I've got the money to occasionally do overseas travel, and, and Ireland is one of my favourite destinations, and I. Usually uh, hook up uh, with my with my family there, and we we have a pretty good time catching up. <laughs> but it, it it is quite interesting because uh, just talking about the the cost of of uh, going back to see family there, um, you know, I remember sort of reflecting on the fact that we came to Australia in seventy two, and um, we didn't go back to Ireland. The first time I went back to Ireland was in nineteen eighty nine. And oh, uh, wow. I was sort of trying to work out, yeah, a lot, 18 years odd. Um, and, um, and 
you know, when when I reflected back on that, I thought, well, why did mum and dad go back to to Ireland? Um, and the fact of the matter was, airline travel was so expensive. I worked out um, that the cost for us to do the travel to Ireland back in 1972 uh, for the family would have been the equivalent of $75,000 or something uh, for the family, if, uh, just economy to go to Ireland and return. So it was kind of no uh, no surprise when I thought about it that uh, we didn't go back <laughs> until we were really, um, we were adults and came and able to pay for our own airfares, which by then in, uh, right. in real terms had fallen quite a lot. So, yeah, um, love going wow. to Ireland. I, um, I was very fortunate to have um, have a few years living in Ireland in the late 60s. Uh, I was in, in, in Ireland in 1969 for the moon landings, for example, and, oh, wow. um, you know, forged quite uh, close relationships with, with my cousins, um, which I still uh, value very much. I keep in contact with them by phone very regularly, and we, we do visit when we have the the occasion and the opportunity to go back there. Of course, uh, COVID-19 has, uh, has made things like that uh, a lot more difficult, but uh, yeah. in due course, uh, we would love to, to go back home. Should... And uh, It's funny I call it home when really Australia is my home, but it's just the vernacular that my, my mother yes. and father would have uh, would used. Um, yeah. But... No. Uh, one uh, one interesting question, Nigel, is: Am I Australian or am I Irish? And um, right. And I remember when I was about eighteen years old, um, the Irish rugby team was coming to visit Australia, and I, you know, <laughs> of course, my family were were quite parochially Irish in terms of, um, but very much Australia is our home. We are Australians, and I remember thinking, I don't want Ireland to win. Right, and, I, and that okay. was then that I realised, I, I, you know, having come at quite a young age, I, I am an Australian. Right. Okay. Interesting. With, Very interesting. With, so yeah. that was the first time. That was kind of the inflection point when you suddenly realised that, yeah, you were maybe Australian first and Irish second, or In, that way, yeah. People... Right. Yeah. Right. And Absolutely. Which Which part of Ireland, if you want to say, or? Yeah. Um... Dad was from Dublin. Uh, okay. And, uh, Dad, in fact, grew, grew up, for those uh, maybe of your listeners who know uh, Dublin, Dad grew up in the Phoenix Park, uh, in the Phoenix Park, which is a very large park. Yeah, that's of Dublin. huge. And um, most people would realise who come from Dublin or know Dublin that, you know, you don't live in the Phoenix Park. But actually, his father was the... Um, I think the vice um, superintendent or something of the ordnance survey, and he lives in um, Mount Joy House, which was kind of like a large wow. property um, and virtually kind of a mansion that they lived in, um, you know, which was state-owned, obviously, but it yes. came with the role. So dad, dad, was, dad was there from 1935 until his father, until he left home, but his father retired and left there in 1964 so quite a quite a long time mum my mum is from county leash um which uh, you know m maybe some of your listeners uh, have a better familiarity with ireland and the geography there and would know county leash but most people in australia have never heard of it no. like i can't think of a single 
Australian that I've told where my mother's come from who's actually ever heard of Leash. L-A-O-I-S, County Leash. So it's, it's only about 80 kilometres out, uh, out of Dublin. Um, okay. Uh, and, and very much towards um, the centre of the island, I guess. Mum would always say to me, Leash is the only county that touches other counties that don't touch the sea. So every other county in Ireland apparently touches another county which is on the sea. So uh, didn't know that. That was kind of one of the, one of the claims to fame. Um, <coughs> yeah. I actually lived there for a couple of years. Um, you know, probably from about the age of uh, seven to nine, uh, okay. and and absolutely love love have such fond memories of my time in. Uh, we lived in a small town called Mount Melek, just outside of Portlaoise, which is the sort of the capital town, I guess, or city now, probably of uh, of Leash. Right. So I have very, very fond memories of my childhood in in uh, in Ireland. No, absolutely. But you didn't. So you didn't spend just to go back on because it's actually this kind of your life sounded like it was in three parts. I mean, obviously huge <laughs> emphasis on on Ireland, your life in Australia. Did you spend much time at all in the Middle East, bearing in mind where you were born? And Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yes. Um, in fact, more time in the Middle East. I was really there from zero to eight. Um, okay. We, we went back to Ireland for what was called long leave every 18 months for, I don't know, I, I don't really know the time, but I think it was like a couple of months. Right. Um, during which time we would have lots of time with our cousins. and um, But, yeah. I, I grew up in the Middle East in, in, in um, the town was called or is called Awali and mm-hmm. it was a packed town for the, uh, uh, for the expats who worked um, in the oil uh, refining business in, in Bahrain at that time. So of that as well, um, quite different obviously to Ireland. You've got the sort of the greenest place on earth and the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, dare I call it the brownest place? Um, yes. So quite a, a but uh, that was totally familiar to me, and the, the very uh, high temperatures of summer and that sort of stuff were were, were totally familiar to so, me. I didn't think anything abnormal about. It. <laughs> so you had a emerald green to the deepest hues of sand, and I suppose Australia probably yeah. combines elements of both. <laughs> Yeah, I must tell you a little anecdote about that. Was I was travelling with my brother and my son in in Ireland uh, when when we lived in Europe recently in the last you know five years ago, and um, Connor, my brother, and I were driving, and and my son Sean was there, and we say, look how green Ireland is. It's you know the forty shades of green, and Sean would say, right. it's not that green. There's some brown over there. And um, <laughs> anyway, this kind of went on. And every, every time we ran the corner, it was greener. And we'd say, look how green that is. And it's not that green. And um, the funny thing was, uh, later on, my, my brother, Connor, was then flying back to Australia. And uh, he wrote us this little email or text or something saying, just flew over Australia, I can't get over how brown it is. And Sean came back with, it's not that brown. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very good yeah i like that (laughs) yeah yeah okay understood yeah very good so yeah you mentioned so earlier on you mentioned you were retired or are retired yeah but what retired from from what did you retire from 
Oh, well, I didn't retire from life. I retired from work. Um, yes, kind okay, of, very uh, good. It's, it's funny, uh, you know, perhaps some of your listeners can cope with this, is uh, to use the R word, you know, it's kind of something you think older people do. Um, mm. And... And it it actually is it's really hard to say that you are, you are retired or you are going to retire. It's a transition into old age. And I started saying, well, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm retiring from work, but I'm not retiring from life. And that's kind of been a bit of the philosophy. I had uh, uh, had a great career and and the opportunity to retire very uh, relatively young, like at 54, um, mm-hmm. with some great experiences, but. Um, you know, and I've, so I've been retired now, you know, coming up seven years. And, um, so it's been seven yeah, years. Yeah, <laughs> it goes quick, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I am retired and, um, and very much enjoying um, my retirement and still, you know, keep myself active and both mentally and physically. And that I think is important. Absolutely. They're retired, but not put out to pasture. yeah well i mean one of the things you know in all honesty i I love my career and i i i had a i worked for a couple of great companies and um i really enjoyed the intellectual challenge of my career and dealing with uh, the wonderful people i dealt with um but you know at the end of the day it takes up a lot of your time and you know there's there's you know Mm. You've got mortgages and all those sort of things that, you know, I'm sure all of your, your listeners w- will understand all of this. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it takes up so much of your time that perhaps some of the things you might have wanted to do, you just don't have the time to devote to that. Um, so right. um, being retired gives you, you know, if you have a passion, it really gives you the opportunity to pursue that passion. And uh, I've been fortunate to be able to do that. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the last episode of my son, Ben, we talked a lot about whether, you know, effect, well, essentially we talked a lot about you know, living for work or working to live. Um, and yeah. that's that kind of challenge that, that pretty much all of us probably face in, in higher or lesser degrees. Right. But, um, but you're, totally. you've, yeah. you've had that interesting transition now, uh, as you say, where, well, you've, re- you've retired from that work phase, which is, you know, um, well, whether it's working to live or living to work depends on the individual and so forth. But now you're in this phase uh, where, as you say, you can focus on your passion. So, so what is your passion then? What it, what is? I mean, is that is that is that something you did before and and have continued, but now now do more of? Uh, you know, in now you're now in a retired phase, or is this something you started when you retired? Well. My, my passion is astronomy, and um, okay. so my, my passion actually started um, back in Ireland, uh, actually. Um, my mother gave me um, a, a book, which was her brother's book, and he died, in, unfortunately, quite young at 37 in 1957. Oh. And nice. um, he, he had this, he was, a, he was quite a, he was very interested in Greek, the Greek language, and he was in a, quite a, a number of pursuits. But he was interested in astronomy, and I was given this book, and it's called The Starry Heavens, and it was written in 1950 by an Englishman by the name of Ellison Hawkes. So I started reading this book, and I still have it. Um, it's, it's, it looks like it came off the ark. And, and it has that kind <laughs> of really old, which I never thought a book that I would own would look like, but um, 
yeah, I read it from cover to cover, and I was extremely interested in 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 the book and, and everything that it kind of covered. And uh, what I really loved, um, and I love even more now, is that Ellison Hawkes, um, he he did a lot of drawing, so he drew the planets and. It was, you know, I guess astrophotography was in its infancy at that time. So there are some plates in there, some black and white images uh, that he uses to, or he used to illustrate the book. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was drawing. And uh, I, I remember reading, um, you know, we just had the Perseverance probes landed on Mars. And I think of the, the, the time between then when he wrote that book in 1950. And now it's just incredible because, uh, and I reread the chapters of that book recently. He talks about, you know, the changes in color of Mars and were they due to vegetation, you know, to autumns and, and right. uh, spring in, 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 on Mars. You know, this is kind of um, an indication of, of how far our, our knowledge has, uh, has come. Um, Not quite the canals. And at but... that time... <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that's also how deluded you can be about things. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I presume or perhaps some of your listeners will know that Percival uh, Lowell was uh, an American, had a, had, uh, had a passion for observing Mars, and he he observed uh, what he thought were canals on Mars. Um, and uh, he, he apparently had read um, some information from an Italian um, astronomer called Giovanni Schiaparelli, who talked about canali, yeah. which was channels, but yes. he translated that into canals. into his what he thought were canals, and he drew very uh, exotic and intricate maps of these canals that don't exist. Uh, nevertheless, well, he did make, I think, a very significant contribution to astronomy, uh, notwithstanding uh, that he was straining at the very edges of perception for the instruments of of that time. But yeah, in summary, Nigel, I, I've always had an interest in astronomy, and you know, had okay. some small telescopes, and um, but probably didn't. Even though I maintained that interest all through my life, I never really pursued it. And again, career. I lived mm -hmm. in Sydney, which is quite light polluted, um, so it was it was limited what I could do. Um, but later on, uh, I had the opportunity to live in you know, the 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 west of um, the central west of New South Wales, and we have the most wonderful skies, um, right. you know, and uh, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you're from Europe and perhaps many of your listeners are from Europe, um, when you look up at the night sky, you know, you're mostly looking through heavily light polluted skies mm -hmm. and we True. are still fortunate here in Australia, especially away from the big cities to have the most incredibly beautiful, um, skies and and the milky way we've got a front seat on the milky way so i've had the wow. opportunity since um particularly since retiring of spending some of my retirement money on some decent equipment which i'd never really done prior to that so yeah i've got into it in quite a big way and uh, i'm really enjoying the uh you know the the ongoing challenge that that represents of uh and i've got more and more into astrophotography as as time's gone on so that's kind of been uh, where I've been uh, spending my time, uh, not all my time, but um, a good deal of it since uh, since I retired. And you spent actually because I mean I've seen 
I've seen your, your imagery, your photography, and it's 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 remarkable. You know, as you know, I'm a big fan. But but um, but particularly on planets, right? Or initially, or is that moving on? Or well, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of um, in 2016, I was aware that Mars, uh, and so some of your listeners may know that Mars it comes closer to the Earth every mm-hmm. two years. And um, so I was kind of aware that this new apparition, the, when, when Mars and, and the Earth would come close again, basically when the two planets are on the same side of the sun. Yeah. And uh, I said to my wife, well, I'd really like to buy a decent-sized telescope. And, and one of the objectives was to get a good view of of Mars. And, um, and, and I did that. Um, and um, I... I thought, well, I should try and take some photographs of it, and 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 I started off with very sort of rudimentary photographic equipment, and um, yeah, I mean, my my images of that time were pretty pretty basic, but uh, over time, I got more and more into the imaging of the planets, and um, yeah, so I've had the 2016, 18, and and, and recently the 2020 apparitions of mars to to photograph and um yeah i've got um you know as you do um spend some money on some better equipment and mm-hmm. um you know the old the old adage is to get your children into astrophotography because they'll never have enough money for drugs and alcohol was one of the in jokes for the community been, yeah, yeah or um well, the other one I like, I saw recently was this guy who's got his hands in the sink, he's doing the dishes, and his wife said to him something like, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've swept out the garage and you've washed the dishes today. What telescope have you just bought? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have to say, um, my wife, Ruth, has been um, very understanding and extremely supportive. I'm, I'm very lucky because um, to have the opportunity to spend, you know, some of my retirement income on, on some toys um but she and, must be very uh, proud as well because uh, of what you've achieved well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I think i think so um i think yeah. so yeah no it's uh i couldn't have done it with that and then um you know when I, I started with the telescope and then in due course we uh we ended up buying buying this property um mm-hmm. and uh, i built i built a dome on it i mean i, I kind of um I originally started out saying, well, even even their hometown, which is only 40,000 people, is a bit too light polluted for mm. what I want to do. And I just want to find an acre somewhere where I can eventually put up an observatory. But we ended up um, buying this. Th- you, c- you couldn't really buy an acre out in the country. So right. we ended up with uh, with a property that had a house on it. And, and then I built the observatory and and the rest is history kind of thing. So... Um, so yeah, I started off with with planetary, uh, and um, but more recently I've been getting into into deep sky. Um, okay. And just for those of you who don't know, planetary is and, and lunar is really just the solar system. You know the the planets and and, and the Earth's moon quite close by, relatively speaking. Yeah. And then yeah. um, and and even some comets. I've done some uh, photography of comets. Um, but then the deep sky is the stuff that's really far away, whether it be nebulae or galaxies or various uh, uh, celestial objects that are, you know, at vast, vast dif- distances um, beyond sort of human comprehension. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, um, one of the things I, I, I find fascinating is that um, when you look out to the night sky, if you're lucky, you know, you're not in an area of light pollution, which sadly so many people are, as you say, but and are not afforded that opportunity. Um, but when, you, if you, if and when you are, it's the idea that the, those photons, you know, from some distant star or whatever, those light particles, are hitting the back of your eye, your retina, uh, and they've they've they come substantially vast distances. And actually, what you're looking at is, you know, considerable amount of of history. It's you know, it's in the past. Everything we look at is in the past. Is that something you that you think about in, in terms of when you're out there at night and, and, and observing and so forth? What, what kind of goes through your mind? Or, or you focus very much on the, you know, obviously the mechanics uh, and the technical aspects. No, no. I, I, you know, you're dead. You're dead right. That really does hit you. In fact, um, you know, even when you look at the moon, you're looking at it. Uh, as it was, mm-hmm. you know, a quarter of a second ago, or well, you're looking at the sun, you're looking at, at it as it was eight minutes ago. And that's how long it takes the light to arrive here on the earth. Mm-hmm. And the further away things are, the, the longer ago you're looking at it. So really looking at the night sky is a kind of a look back in time. Uh, you can't see yeah. things as they currently are. And, and, you know, it, it to your very point about you know well I, I I do look at galaxies and you know you can you can see galaxies through through my telescope which is so my my big telescope is about fourteen inches in diameter thirty five point five centimeters and that's got a big that's a big light bucket as we call it and and that has the capability of seeing you know a galaxy that might be fifty million light years away. So you, yeah, to your point, it's just amazing when you, you it's just mind blowing to think that the photons that are actually landing on your retina that are sending off an, an electron at, down which creates down a nerve impulse that goes mm-hmm. to your brain left there fifty million years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and humans, you know, we talk about humans have been around for for two million years. It's like <laughs> it's mind blowing to think of literally the blink and, of an and eye. The dinosaurs died out, um, you know, sixty six million years ago. So, yes. you know, you, I can see something where the where the photons that left there left there before the dinosaurs died out on Earth. It's, it's, it is mind blowing, and yeah. it's actually it's yeah. it's almost too difficult to really get your head around. Um, mm. But uh, I, I do have that sense of awe. Every day I do it. Um, even wow. when I look at, at, you know, if you look at Saturn, it's like a, a billion kilometers away, one billion mm-hmm. kilometers away. Um, you know, it's, uh, and that's, that's a close object. So, yeah, it's the scale of things um, is kind of one of the nice things to contemplate about, uh, you know, when you look up at the night sky. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, certainly, uh, yeah. yeah, it puts a lot of things into context, doesn't it, for us as individuals and as a speaker. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then you sort of, you know, you sort of flick from, you know, the the, the distant and, and and just amazing back down to, you know, the, the earth around you. And, you uh, know, as I always said, one of the nice things about being an astronomer is you can you can look at these things that are just so amazing, so immense and so beautiful. And then, you know, you look down at a flower uh, on, here on the earth and, and you have that kind of same sense of awe. It's, uh, mm-hmm. It is quite grounding. Um, it's one of the nice things uh, about um, 
this hobby pastime or money sink, depending on your perspective? <laughs> um, well, I think you used the word earlier, I believe, but uh, I think if you didn't, but I thought you did, but 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 passion, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not yeah. beyond yeah. hobby, I think. Um, yeah, and have you? I mean, can people see? I mean, are you online? Do you, I mean, uh, have you published? I mean. Uh, can people see the imagery that you're, you've been working on and have created over some years now? Yeah. Um, so that, the, there are a number of forums where you can post your image. You kind of take an image and you kind of want to share it with people. So I do I do share uh, my images generally on Facebook with my friends. And right. um, there's also a website called Astrobin, um, which is a global website where people publish their astro images um, and sorry, it's called Astro. Astro Bin. Astro Bin, B I N. Bin, B I N, A S T R O B I N dot com, yeah. I think it is. Okay, I'll um, put it in the notes as well, and, but um, people might want to look at yeah, that. Yeah, and sorry. My, my, my username is, is Magnenia, M A C N E N I A. Okay. Which is kind of an old username from my work. But um, yeah, so I, I, I have a gallery of, of my images and, and it's anyone can go and look them up. If you go on Astro Bin and, okay. um, and, and you look me up, you'll, you'll be able to find uh, some of my images. So you'll see for anyone who does go on there that they'll, they're mostly planetary and, and lunar, but I'm, I've got a few deep sky uh, images in there. So, okay. Um, You're moving yeah, out into the universe. Uh, Literally, yeah. It's also um, with with the planetary side of things. Um, I was fortunate to be invited to uh, a select group of um, of people who who submit their images to um, really to it's really to to NASA and ESA and, and a number of the sort of professional bodies. Um, so there's kind of a um, an email group where we share our uh, planetary wow. images and it's just nice to know that's an image that you've taken of jupiter or whatever uh, might be being used by a planetary scientist somewhere uh, in their studies of the of the planets um and um i'm also a member of the british astronomy association and okay. uh it's just amazing um the um just how much science and how much detail these um these guys go into in terms of the studies of the uh, of the planets fantastic so so it's interesting um and and, and your audio has been a little difficult at times so what i'll do is i'll put i'll put um reference to astro bin and and and, and your details and so forth in the notes for the company that this, yeah. this, this is recording but but actually so so it's 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 a really fascinating aspect of our lives now isn't it that it, so you could be at night taking images of 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 something in anywhere in the cosmos and the universe um mm -hmm. in you know in 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 your 13 acres but you know relatively um isolated i suppose but you're also part of this global community whether it's as you said yeah, like nasa and other bodies or through the british astronomy uh, group or but, yeah but yeah kind of interconnection as it were that's, that's that's also going on at the same time whilst you're doing your thing as it were as an individual it's 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 i mean that uh, i mean astronomers in the past were probably not when they afforded that opportunity i suppose um to compare yeah. and, and grasp. That's a very good comment um 
you know, the, it is quite a, a global community and uh, the interconnectedness is just amazing. I, I can even, mm. I, I, I do um, still study uh, the French language is one of my kind of, um, also one of my, one of the things I like to pursue. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to converse in my, you know, very basic French with uh, French astronomers about um, the universe. That kind of gives you a wow. perspective as well about things. And um, I always try and make that effort to uh, to speak with them and, and, and write to them in their language. And um, it's always kind of, it feels nice when they, when they come back to me in, in French. You know, it's like, wow. Uh, of course, I, I occasionally, I must admit, do, right. do resort yeah. to Google Translate, but uh, <laughs> overall, I try yeah. and do that. We all do, to, I think, to the minimum. But um, yeah, it's 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 a big community, and there's a lot of people very passionate about it. So, and and like I said, you know, we're we're very fortunate to have the southern this this you know very big population of astronomers in North America and and Europe, um, mm -hmm. Russia. Um, and you know it's 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 nice for us from the southern hemisphere um, to bring some of the the sites that, that that you cannot see from the northern hemisphere. I don't know. I, I, I presume your your listeners are aware. You know some of the mm -hmm. uh, there are some things in the northern part of the sky that, that you know some of the constellations like Ursa Major, the Great Bear, or Cassiopeia that I can't see from from here in Australia, and equally. There are a bunch of things that um, that we can see from here that you can't see from Europe, for example, or North America. Um, so it's quite interesting to share. I I, I published an image uh, recently, which was just a simple picture of the of of the uh, gibbous moon, the 66, it was about two thirds illuminated moon. And um, a friend of mine um, in Holland, John. Um, he he had taken a picture of the moon the day before, and what what's kind of amazing is okay. like the the moon is upside down in Australia, um, and and our two images just showed that with it being um, on on my side it was illuminated on the right side, um, and and upside down, and and John's image was illuminated on the left side and, and around <laughs> the other way, and um, I put that on Facebook, and it, it was quite interesting for people to. To think about that, it's like, uh, you know, we really do live on a ball. And, and you know, y you are standing up now and your head is pointing one direction and my, my head is pointing the other way. Um, and that's why I right. see it, when we look at the moon together, I see it upside down compared to you and vice versa. Um, and I remember it took me back to a time when I was with uh, Ruth, my wife, in, on holiday in Nice. And we were on a on a sort of down by the seashore and on a particular sitting on a park bench, and there was the beautiful moon there. And I said to her, "Do you notice anything about the moon?" And she kind of looks at it. And she said, "It looks weird." And I said, "It's upside down." <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> maybe people don't realise. I suspect that, yeah. I suspect a lot of people don't appreciate that. Actually, I think probably people don't don't think about that. I mean, if you start thinking about it a lot, it does your head in, really, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, totally. that's uh, yeah. I mean that that yeah it, yeah. It, you kind of t it's one of those where you have to kind of take a pause for thought and just kind of consider it and think about it. But that it, those images would be uh, would be absolutely fascinating of north and south view of the moon. Yeah. 
Well, I will put those on Estrip in a venue if your um, viewers or your, that would be your great. listeners are, are interested in, in checking yeah. it out within the next few days. So I promised my friend John that, uh, uh, that that I would do that. So that might be of interest. But yeah. Definitely. No, definitely. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest. Um, I think you might get a new, uh, an expanded fan club, I hope, from, <laughs> from people hearing this. But uh, I mean, you know, uh, Ness and I, so my wife and I, as you know, are fully paid members of your of, of your of your fan club. I mean, some of the imaging is just astonishing. So I'm hoping we're whetting the appetite for people to go onto to Astro Bin. But one thing you haven't mentioned, actually, I'm aware of, and I hope it's okay to say, but you have actually published as well, right? And we lost Neil due to the connection, but we'll resume momentarily. And. Back to Neil for the second part of this episode three of International Conversations. Just saying, um, uh, I hope it was okay to, to mention, but uh, what you what you had not mentioned, of course, is that you you have published. I mean, you're in book form as well, right? Yeah. So uh, I was I was fortunate to um, meet up with a, a local guy here who's um, who's just a brilliant um, deep sky astronomer, uh, astrophotographer. And um, so he and I kind of were comparing notes and we realized that between the two of us, we had quite a, quite a body of work. Um, and uh, we thought, well, why don't we just, you know, self-publish a, a book of our images? So um, we did that. And it was sort of mostly my planetary and lunar images and, you know, um, Rodney's deep sky images. And both of us do what we call nightscapes, which is like the Milky Way. Uh, okay. Or um, mm-hmm. star trails, you know, where they, where you can see the beautiful circular pattern that the stars leave in the sky. Um, yeah, and so we. And that's time lapse. Yeah, that's that time. time. Yeah, and uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, we were we were pretty happy to produce the book, and we've had quite a lot of uh, good interest in that. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of well, for me, it's the, f- the first book I've ever been involved with. So. That was something new and, and interesting. So, yeah, pretty happy with uh, with that too. Impressive. There's always new projects to be doing. Would you do it again? Yeah. Look, uh, we we thought we might even do a calendar or something maybe next. Uh, um, uh-huh. it, it takes a qu- quite a while to accumulate the images book. Um, you know, I think it was probably two or three years worth of work. And now that I've got into deep sky, I have something of an appreciation for how long it takes to produce a really good deep sky image. It can be, you know, 20, 30 hours worth of, um, worth of capture time with the camera because you take multiple images and then you integrate those images. Um, and then, you know, it can be a sort of a man week or a woman week of um, processing the, the data um, to actually produce an image. Um, so that's... Uh, that's always uh, quite a challenge. So there's just that you know, Rodney always says if you can produce one, one image per month, you're doing extremely well. I hadn't realised actually that. It's, I mean, I realised it was um, you know, it was a lot of work and there's a lot of post production work and so on. But I, I hadn't I'd really underappreciated the amount of effort. I mean, you do you have to almost kind of go into the zone almost and just focus in on that particular image and work with it until it's done and yeah, just over the 
the, there's the some software that's, um, that astronomers use, and um, one piece of software that I use, I mean, you almost need a university degree to, to operate it. It's got so many, so many I, I, <laughs> I, I kid you not, I, mean, I couldn't blow your mind when, if, I, if I sat down with you to show you it in detail. Um, so there's, um, nice. it's a kind of Photoshop, if you like, for um, astro images. Okay. Just can't take take a photograph and and then have something that the human eye can fully appreciate as the object that you're looking at. There's there's a, there's a whole process to be gone through to to produce it the right brightness, color, and detail. And, and um, the the software um, is is the game changer in terms of the uh, um, uh, the the astrophotographer to bring the image to life, so to speak. And bringing out the detail, as you say, and so yeah. forth. I mean, I don't, one of um, the key, the, the most interesting things, you know, if I look at planetary, and with planetary, it's uh, the, the process is much shorter. I mean, I can produce, the image capture might be, take me a half an hour to an hour, and I can produce an, a really good image right. if I've got good data in, you know, maybe two, three, four hours of processing. Um, so they're, they're, they're different disciplines. Okay. But in both cases, there's been a massive re revolution, which is the advent of digital cameras and the advert, advent mm -hmm. of, you know, um, computer software processing to of of the data. Um, and I won't I won't go into the details of of of, of what we do, but it's there's, um, <laughs> you know, quite literally, um, and there are people much better than me with with planetary imaging. I I, I can produce an image that's infinitely better than the best images ever produced say in the 70s by the the biggest most powerful telescopes right. uh, just with my amateur equipment all because of the advances with um with digital cameras and with computer processing software amazing it's i mean it, we live in a in, live in a, a quite remarkable time now that because of the advent of, of, of our, our technologies as a species, you see this kind of democratization of, of being of these capabilities, you know, of these, as you say, you know, it would take actually a funded institution probably to create some of the images in the seventies that could even approach maybe what you do now, effectively in your own backyard almost, as yeah. you say. Well, I suspect probably more than amateur equipment, but anyway, <laughs> but even so, but it is quite remarkable, isn't it? That uh, I mean, it, it, whether it's, it's it's astrophotography or it's indeed now you know broadcasting like the podcasting as we're doing now. Um, yeah. I mean, all sorts of aspects you of know, life. Filmmaking, you know, filmmaking, um, you know, what, what, yeah. what, you, what you can do with uh, to, to produce, um, you know, filming. You know, I guess the the whole, um, you know, the advances in in computer, you know, aided design, the advances in CGI, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I guess Nigel, you'd be, you know, you'd be aware of some of the, you know, the early science fiction um, TV series yes. that we saw and how and, and yes. how crude the um, special effects were. And you look at the yeah. what they can do these days. Um, it's uh, it's just remarkable. Yeah, I have to admit to um, I've got a few. Um, 
was not, not currently, but I certainly was a fan of the old Doctor Who, particularly Tom Baker, and BBC are producing Blu-ray sets of those. And uh, and some of them, you can before you watch them, you can choose to either have them as they are originally or with updated CGI. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure. Sometimes it's like, no, 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 leave it untouched. <laughs> I want to reach the original. But sometimes you're tempted to say, what would it look like with like modern CGI? You know, bearing in mind, as you say, the kind of creaky productions and the, the low budgets they had, and so on. But uh, it is it is quite remarkable, and, and really within a very relatively short space of time uh, in comparison to the timelines we've been discussing so yeah, far. Yeah, totally. Um, is that? Uh, would you say um, was so? When you were working, was this your dream? You know what you're doing now. Is this kind of what you're aspiring to? I mean, what, what you know, uh, what were your dreams then, and, and what about now in terms of looking forward? Because you say you're still young, and you know you're now. You're, I mean, you're now kind of working for yourself, doing the things you really like doing. Yeah. Um, um, maybe inappropriate to call it work, but, but. well, I, I guess um, uh, you know you you live your life and and in the sort of uh, the you know the the day to day you 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 think about the future, but you know as John Lennon said, life life is what happens while you're busy making plans, and. I, I I always knew that, um, and I, I'd always said to my wife, I, I'd you know I'd really like to buy a decent telescope when I retire. It's kind of, but but I, you know, I didn't really okay. plan out um, what what I've ended up doing. Um, right. It just um, right. I I kind of was fortunate to have had a job opportunity that took me to country New South Wales, so away from the big city, and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we came to really love um, you know regional New South Wales and um, the lifestyle here, and then of course the opportunity for astronomy that that affords sort of became suddenly became apparent to me. Um, but I was sort of full bottle on my career and um, and 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 all of that, mm-hmm. and not you know you sort of you're very busy with that. You're very busy with you know all that life brings you, know, family, mortgages. All, all the things um, that uh, yeah. that everyone has to deal with, and um, you know, you, you're sort of thinking about getting through the next year or two, whatever your immediate plans are. And maybe not thinking, well, in 20 years I'm going to be retired, mm-hmm. and what am I going to do then? Um, but I always had in, in the back of my mind right. that, that that love that I had, and the, you know, the kind of want to to do some astronomy it, but not not in a sort of a detailed formal plan if that's if that's where you're coming from just a sort of a vague right. notion that i really like that and i'd like to get more into it i want to buy a decent telescope when i retire uh was kind of the yeah. the thing so i've just been very fortunate to um to be able to pursue that um and look you know it's i don't just do astronomy we've got um um, you know, we've got good friends here in, in, in our hometown and we can, you know, pandemics allowing, we can we, we like to do some see, see parts of the world, come and see our old friends in Belgium like yourself and Nessie. Um, that's one of the great, great mm-hmm. pleasures is that we, we know a number of people around the world and uh, to maintain those connections and our valuable friendships like ours with you guys is, uh, is very important to me and to, to Ruth. Um, so there are things Likewise. there are things beyond um, you know your passions and your hobbies or so to speak but um, yeah I guess we just uh, we're, we're just very fortunate to live in this country 
um, and to be able to pursue our dreams um, in the way that we do. Uh, forgive me for asking this, maybe, but um, so do you feel do you feel liberated as a, an individual now than you know compared to when you were working so forth? Is that is that an element of it, or am I misunderstanding? No, I mean or? I think that's a very good word. There is, um, yeah, you definitely feel like um, you know. There's always a pressure, as you know. You've got like. Um, You have to hold down a job. I mean, everyone who's working is thinking, well, you know, I need to do well. Um, You know, I've got commitments. I need the the money that my job affords. Um, And I'm Mm. I'm supporting my family and and all the things that go with that. So um, there there are – those are constraints. And – you know, when 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 you finally get to the point, if you if you can get to the point where you can retire relatively young, then there is that sense of liberation. I do think it's important that you um, that you have some passion to pursue. You know, when you get to the point of you know moving beyond your your working life, um, because you you know you read of all these people who who you know just fall into a malaise or drop dead, you know, six months after they retire and stuff like that. So I think, you know, you need to maintain, yeah. you know, a healthy um, and productive lifestyle. So I also do some, you know, I think it's important to do some stuff if, if your family. So obviously we've just supported our son in moving to Sydney in terms of his job. Um, it's important to do stuff, right. you know, obviously, you know, have friends and, uh, and a social life. And to do some stuff for the community. So, um, so recently, for example, I joined the um, the Bush Fire Brigade, you know, local to my observatory. Um, oh wow! And that was kind of in, in, in somewhat in a response to the terrible situation we found ourselves in last year, which I'm sure mm-hmm. many of your listeners will will have heard about the the, the fires um, in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, it was absolutely horrendous. Um, you know where we where, where we are. Mm. We were going from you know dust storms where where you know clouds of dust were blown in from inland New South Wales, and then when the wind reversed direction, we were getting the Gosford's Mountain uh, fire smoke that was that was just a pall over the over the area for days and days on end. And um, there was a bushfire only about ten kilometres to the uh, uh, to the east of uh, of of our property here, so we're, I ended up at that time taking all my gear out of the observatory and, and relocating it to our hometown of Bathurst, just for safety. And I didn't want to be trying to move that stuff if um, if we were defending against the fire. Oh, no. so, yeah, it's um, you yeah, these are things that um, that's a riff. Yeah. But anyway, we got through all that. We've had a very cool summer in comparison this year, so yeah, we're all quite happy with that. But uh, which I, is, I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure it's a relief. Yeah, yeah. and, and <laughs> funny, funnily enough, having joined the, the fire brigade, I actually haven't been to a fire yet. Um, so, um, but I, but I did feel that it, you know, because I'm still reasonably healthy and fit, and uh, not working. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I can't really, I couldn't really leave it up to. Um, you know, people with families and, and, and jobs to go to to 
be fighting bushfires and defending more right. property and not make a, uh, you know, some contribution. So that's been quite good because I've got to know a number of the locals in the fire brigade and stuff like that. So I think it's quite important to also have, um, you know, some community um, activities and uh, things that you where you can make a contribution as well uh, as pursuing your pursuits like and your hobbies. No, absolutely. I mean, um, however much you may be um, distancing yourself uh, um, and allowing you to do your, you know, your your astronomy work and so forth, and avoiding light pollution and being out in thirteen acres and so forth, as you say, you're connected and still part of a global, but also a local community. Um, so you're kind of balancing that, I suppose. Aren't yeah, you? very. That's that's a very nice way of putting it. Very, very, very true. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't. You, you might want to look up at the sky and escape from the world in a certain respect, but you can't escape from the world. You are part mm-hmm. of the world and, um, you know, what's going on with climate change and all these things is, is well, when you experience what you experienced last year, you feel it, you know, uh, in, in, your own, uh, in your own life and experience. So, um, yeah. Do, do you think... Um... Do you think experiences last year? I mean, do you think that changed views and attitudes in Australia or locally in terms of regarding, you know, the climate change, climate heating, or what different terms we use these days? But I think it has. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe people have short memories, but I mean, it was so shocking last year. Um, and you know, right. I'm I'm sure a number of people go, yeah, oh, climate change, but we all live our lovely lives, and and I still you know, do mm-hmm. do everything that I used to do and, and big deal, you know. Um, but I think it, you know, and our, our own government, you know, without getting too much into the political side of things, has been, and I think it's well well understood, um, you know, there's been quite a, almost a climate of climate change denial. And, you know, uh, our, our economy has been very much a fossil fuel-based economy. So it's a lot of rhetoric from the yes. from the government about the need to support jobs and the economy and all that sort of stuff, and those arguments may have held you know good and strong sway with a large part of the Australian community. But I think last year was a kind of a real eye opener. I hope, really hope so, for people to say, no, this is this is really right. it's time. It's you know this is this is kind of. Um, uh, first-hand evidence, if you ever needed it, of of what we're doing to the planet and the need to the need to act. And if you talk about, you know, you mentioned about issues. You know, my my probably my my yes. big my big issue is the issue of you know what uh, what we as humanity are doing to the uh, to the planet and and the animal and plant mm-hmm. kingdoms um, and to the climate. And, um, you know, uh, I, for one, wouldn't want to live in a world where there wasn't uh, an animal kingdom to enjoy and where there weren't, wasn't enough room mm-hmm. and habitat and um, space and, and, uh, and, and, and clean environmental conditions to support the natural world. Um, and we are part of the natural world, whether we like it or not. And, you know, it's one of my passions is... Um, yeah, the the need for we as humanity to find to use our big brains to find you know the, the right ways to um, 
to learn to live with a quite a, you know a big population, eight probably heading towards ten or eleven billion people, uh, without destroying their natural rights. It's kind of my, it's my, and I I don't, I don't want to leave my my yeah. son, you know, a, a world where it's um, those things are not there for for him and his children to enjoy. Yeah, no, understood, understood. And we're in this bizarre, it's kind of very bizarre, it's, it's classic of our species, I suppose, but it's a bizarre predicament that we're travelling, if, even if remotely, to, to you know distant worlds, or relatively distant worlds, looking for things like ancient life, like we're doing now, right now on Mars. Meanwhile, we're destroying yeah. droves of life on our home planet. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's... If there are uh, other species uh, in the cosmos, they would probably be observing us with some quizzical yeah. um, views because uh, it, yeah. it doesn't add up, does yeah. it? I have heard the argument. Um, uh, it's like, oh, why should we spend so many millions of or billions of dollars on space exploration? Um, you know, when we don't have clean water for and food for the whole of the human population. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of, that is an argument. But my counter argument is always, if you took away the, the budget that NASA has and and you gave it back to the politicians, they would not spend it on more water or food for those no. in need. They'd spend it on no. armaments. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard this argument raised a few times. It's like, well, you know, why do we spend so much money on science? Well, why do we spend so much, you know, like five or ten times that amount on on weapons to blow people to to small pieces? You know what I mean? It's kind of that's the that's what I don't understand. Um, but uh, no, I think I think you're not alone. And also, I mean, learning from, I mean, even look at Mars research, and, and uh, clearly Mars is is one of your. I get the impression anyway, one of your favourite planets, maybe, but at least every two years. But <laughs> but um, yeah. but you know, actually. I mean, climate change on Mars, in some respects, is probably a lot to learn from that versus what's happening to our own planet, uh, in some respects, right? Well, yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, there's um, those of you who've, you know, seen the um, the Perseverance rover landing. It's landing. It's landed somewhere where mm -hmm. there's clearly evidence that water was was pooling in this large crater and. Right. And uh, there's evidence of sediment and stuff like that. So they've, you know, NASA has gone there to look for for life. But clearly, you know, the planet in the past was was wetter and very much uh, not much of an atmosphere. So, yeah, I mean, planets, um, planet, the the climate mm. on planets change. And you know, there's discussion about the inner planet. Venus virtually Earth's twin, um, but with a runaway green greenhouse yes. effect. So it's, you know, yes. the surface temperature is 450 degrees C, hot enough to, met, to melt lead. So, um, and there's some conjecture about in the past, perhaps when yeah. the sun was cooler than it is today, um, Venus was a more benign place uh, where life could have started, but um, the conditions of, uh, of, are certainly not there today. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, to your point, we have evidence in our own solar no. system of, uh, you know, two extremes. We've got the Goldilocks zone where Earth lives and we live. And then the, the hothouse yep. hell of Venus and the sort of frigid 
barren, um, cold, uh, you know, world of Mars uh, a bit further out. So uh, it does make you appreciate um, just just how benign and um, you know superb the conditions that we enjoy here on on the Earth. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, indeed. And shielded by Jupiter for any large hits from, from asteroids or comets and God knows. I mean, you know, it's Earth is a very fortunate position cosmologically, right, in terms of all the right uh, ingredients for life. And yet um, we clearly underappreciate <laughs> yeah, that as I mean, a species. The, the Earth is also very resilient. I saw a very interesting commentary from, I think it was an Indian um, philosopher um, and she said I'm not worried about the earth um, I'm worried about humanity um, and her philosophy was right. that the earth has right. been through you know upheaval climate massive climate change asteroid hits volcanism and mm-hmm. the earth always comes through and, and 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 life recovers but she she was I thought it was very that was very insightful um it's humanity she was worried about yeah it kind of reinforces that uh like like your experience uh, last year with the fires and so forth the impact that probably had on people's thinking is that um you know we can live for so long just assuming everything is constant and then various things will shock us into realizing that actually you know things can vary considerably or life can can, can change um, and that, that you know we take it for granted there's yeah, that we do. constancy and, and, I, suppose. Um, I mean clearly things have changed massively through its history um, you know it's in the climate um, record that you can read in the rocks and ice cores and all that stuff um, so change yes. is probably more than all but we you know I guess the issue at the moment is 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 the pace of the change. You know, we're talking about large, relatively large changes in 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 mm-hmm. years and decades, um, and that's kind of relatively unprecedented. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the other the other concern is yeah. I think I think when you said you know, about species extinction, so we're in the uh, you know I've I've read some people say we're in the middle of the yes. of the um, you know the sixth. Uh, large uh, species extinction event in in Earth's history, and and humans oh, yes. are the cause. And I, d- I don't know how many humans are actually yeah. really that aware of of that. Um, I think a very small percentage of the population would actually understand that. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. No, I think you're right. This no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think you mentioned it earlier in our conversation, but this thing about immediacy. You know, I can continue my life. And at the moment, there are birds flying about and the garden looks nice and so on. And so I could easily be lulled into thinking, well, you know, everything looks OK. I don't I don't see an immediate. It's that almost human need to, to touch or see or feel or hear or smell or taste or whatever. But, you know, but to, to recognize it yourself. And if you, if you can't experience it, then it, yeah. it's kind of not happening or it's happening somewhere else, which doesn't matter so much. But, you know, the fires last year clearly brought that to to people's yeah. immediacy, uh, sadly, um, you know, locally to you, and, and the same with some areas of the world where they're they're living with with dieouts and this, as you say, this whole Anthropocene yeah. extinction. Yeah. Um, and I think no, you know, no, unfortunately, humans often they kind of only yeah. really act when their toes are curled over the edge of the cliff. You know what I mean? It's like um, r- rather than sort of this proactivity <laughs> to see yes. what might be 
not happening now, but could be happening in the very near future. And, and well, yeah. we won't we won't believe it until we actually see it. Um, and, you know, uh, I, also we have short memories. I mean, here we are. We've had this quite cool summer in Australia. It's gone away. You know? wow. um, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Very short memories. Yeah, I think some people suggest we only remember very well what happened the last couple of years and we'll only be able to forecast with any reliability what will happen in the next couple of years out beyond that either way <laughs> you know it's yeah, yeah. forget it <laughs> yeah. we're not very good no um so i our time is is coming coming to an end it's it's unfortunate to leave it on that on that on the darker note i suppose but i mean i I'm, i wanted to first thank you very much indeed for the time neil today and for sharing so much of uh, about yourself, really, uh, absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure everyone listening will be will be fascinated as well. I mean, in, in terms of your everything from yeah. your family right through to your passion today, looking out there. But meanwhile, also that, wanting yeah, to preserve Carl, what we have here. Carl and, Sagan uh, I think that's pale blue incredibly dog. laudable. I don't know if you've ever heard his. Um, that's a wonderful yeah. speech that he yes, made about the, the, yeah. the pale blue dot, which was a. Yeah. which was a picture of the Earth taken by, I think, Voyager 1, looking back towards Saturn. And uh, he talked about the need mm -hmm. to preserve the pale blue yeah. dot, the fragile planet. There were anyone and everyone that we ever knew or ever existed yeah. lived out their lives. And I I was, I, I think, um, well, first of all, Nigel, thank you very much for the opportunity uh, to talk to you about uh, my experience and, and my passions. And uh, yeah. I hope... Um, that was of some interest to, to your listeners. Uh, I, I didn't want to leave it on a completely negative note. I have a, um, I have a great focus the problems that we face. Um, and importantly, to, um, mm -hmm. to keep a place for the natural world is kind of my, you know, my, what I would implore people to, to think about in, in terms of, their their actions and and the things they can do towards uh, um, maintaining a planet that's uh, fit for not only humans but for all the species of the animal and plant kingdoms. And in the meantime, I will look at the. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I will continue I to look say at the beautiful, <laughs> immutable night sky, um, which uh, is is beyond uh, the influence of humanity. Absolutely. Yeah. Well put. No, thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. Uh, have a good uh, rest of your evening, I suppose, your time zone. Yeah, um, no, but no, uh, I really appreciate it. And I'll follow yeah, up with you also for those details and everything else as well. For, 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 okay. I did indeed very much Take as care, well. Nigel. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care.